Dear Lord, I pray today now that you will direct us, send your spirit, that we will do what is pleasing to you, what is uplifting, what is encouraging, what each one here needs to hear today, and uh, may our presentation be according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, how many want some deep theology about what Jesus did in, in what it describes in 1 Peter 3? All right. How many want a story? Oh, man, I'm in trouble. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe we'll just, uh, if we go to about 1230, I can do them both. Will lunch be burned by then? Well, let's jump in and let's get started and see where we're at. I'm going to first go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Thank you, fellas. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I don't think it will take too long if we hurry through this a little bit. We've been talking about all these things where the author has been saying to the people, if you find yourself a slave, if you find yourself in a difficult marriage, if you're a woman, if you're a man, all these things he's been talking about is how they should serve and look out for each other, how they should have an agape love where they're looking out for the best interest of the other person above their own. And when a husband does that, it's pretty easy for a wife to submit to his needs when he's always putting her above everything else. But then he sums it all up. And he says in verse 8, to sum up, let, this is from the New American Standard, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. In other words, being critical of one another. But giving a blessing instead for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Now, sometimes we try to get around that. We, we, we say, you know, Lori's a really awesome person, but... <laughs> and then we give our insult or our critical statement. And somehow we think that that little passive compliment is going to cover what we say next. So we, we, need to, we need to pay attention to what it's saying here. Don't be critical. Don't, don't trade insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. You know, maybe I don't like somebody's hair color, but I like the way they're always faithful in this or that. Is their hair color really that important to me? So you, you see what I'm saying in there? Don't, don't, you know, you go up to somebody and say, man, that's a weird hair color. And they go, well, yours doesn't look so hot either. And you go, well, your suit's kind of, and, and it just kind of, and, and sometimes unintentionally, then people get very hurt feelings. And so Peter's just saying, don't do that. And then from Psalms 34, for let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. That'd be a pretty good saying to put on your refrigerator. Maybe on the dashboard of your car when the guy cuts you off. You know, maybe when you're at work, whatever it may be. And let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. 
but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, when you think about that, when I intentionally, knowingly do something evil, God turns away from me. That's pretty serious, isn't it? It's pretty serious. And sometimes that might even go to the compromises we make from what we know we should be doing. Where God has no choice but to turn away from us because he can't stand evil. He still loves us, but he doesn't like what we're doing. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous what is good? You know, very few people get in trouble when they're doing something good. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. And there are some people that will ridicule you and persecute you and tease you and put you down even when you're doing something good. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Not just Christ as your Savior, not just Christ as your Redeemer, not just Christ as the one who rose from the dead, not just Christ who died on the cross for your sins, but is Christ your Lord? Now, if you think in terms of kings, and the person comes in and says, yes, your Lord, what happens if that person does not do what the king asks them to do? You know, in the story of Esther, with prayer and trepidation, she went in before the king to plead for her people. She knew that it was up to the king to decide whether he would accept her coming in or not. Accept Jesus Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to. Give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, verse 16, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. If somebody comes and accuses you of something, and they can prove by other witnesses and other testimony, that that bad thing you did is a habit that you've done to several other people. What happens when you try to deny what you did? Even if, you, I mean, even if you're telling the truth and you didn't do it. Your record will probably find you guilty even if you're not. But if your record is of doing good things, obeying God's commands, then when an accuser comes along, you have a record for them to look at. And they go, well, this doesn't seem in character for them. Are you sure they really did that? Because the testimony and witness of others is that would be out of character for you to behave that way. But it goes on. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right than for doing what is wrong. It's better to suffer for doing what's right than at least initially not suffer when you do wrong. 
For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now here we go. Here we go for about five minutes into this deeper theological issue. In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in present. Some might say Hades there. Who once was disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting. Oh, but here's a clue. Here's a clue to the understanding. Who once was disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. During the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. Now, God is spirit, right? God is spirit in the Old Testament. God is spirit in the New Testament. You can't see him, but you know he's there. You accept him by faith. You accept his grace by faith, even though you don't physically see him. And what this is saying and what Peter's getting at is he says, look, God by spirit, whether it was his Holy Spirit or God being Jesus himself, tried to work with the antediluvian people and he used Noah to preach to them for 120 years. So in other words, Jesus' testimony, Jesus' preaching, Jesus' caring, Jesus' calling to repentance, he did it through Noah thousands of years before he came as a babe in Bethlehem. Now, we know that in Revelation chapter 20, it talks about Satan being bound for a thousand years, right? And at the end of the thousand years, he's loosed. Is Satan literally tied up in chains somewhere? No. But the circumstances, because either you're a saint in heaven or you're a dead corpse on earth at that time, right? So there's nobody for him to go out and tempt. But at the end of the thousand years, when the wicked are resurrected, now Satan can go and continue to try to keep them deceived, which he will, because there's no Holy Spirit working on him at that point. And so this idea is bound in prison. Now, number one, there are no dead people, quote unquote, still living, but in prison, <laughs> right? Because that would go contrary to the rest of the Bible, the dead know nothing the dead in Christ will rise first, right? The rest of the dead did not come to until after the thousand years were ended. So to be consistent with what is happening there throughout the Bible, the dead know nothing. It's not saying that when Jesus died on Friday and went into the grave, that somehow he went around and, and preached to a bunch of devil spirits. That's not what he's saying at all. But he's saying, this same Jesus that I'm asking you to say Christ is Lord, this same Jesus, through his spirit and through the Holy Spirit, preached to those before the flood. But only eight people accepted it. And the rest were taken and washed away. But there's something interesting when you think about the flood. The very water that destroyed the wicked saved the righteous that were in the ark. If it hadn't been for the ark, 
to rise up on the waters, they too would have been destroyed by the flood. Jesus always has provided a way out. And so then bringing it to the New Testament era and corresponding to that, verse 21, baptism now saves you. Not by the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus was buried in rose, baptism symbolizes a burial to the old life, resurrected to the new. Who is, and he's referring to Jesus, who is now at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. After, from the beginning of sin till the death of Jesus, Jesus had been persecuted in one way or another through the evil people of the world. It might have been his prophets. It might have been his preachers. It might have been Noah. But Jesus, when a Christian or a person believing in God before Christ came as this earth and before they even knew their name Christian, when anybody is being persecuted, it is though they are persecuting God. Get that? And so he says, just as this symbolism of the flood, so is the symbolism of baptism. Now let me ask you a question. Did the ark save the people or did God save the people? It was a belief in God that led them into the ark and God protected the ark from falling apart in the storm and preserved those eight people. So when I'm baptized, doesn't mean I'll no longer have any trouble. I won't have any problems. But when I stay with Christ as Lord, he will see me through all the problems of this earth and see that one day I'm restored. So I just be, you know, that's kind of a difficult passage because some people get all confused about how can this be talking about Jesus when he dies, he goes to prison, and he talks to all the dead bodies or tries to convert everybody again or whatever. It's not even talking about that. It's talking about how God tried to reach the people before the flood. And then the symbolism and parallel between baptism and what actually happened in the flood. And it's a cleansing of the inside. So that's kind of your, your, your little more deep theological uh, tickle, as it were, today. And you can go home and study that out yourself some more. All right. We're not doing too bad. You want at least one of the stories? All right, here we go. And I don't know why. I've been trying to get rid of these two stories all week long, and it just keeps telling me, no, you need to tell them. And you need to tell them this Sabbath. So here we go. When Satan almost killed Superman. A friend and I used to ski together a fair amount, go on ski trips, etc. And I have a tendency to ski rather aggressively. I like to ski where it's steep, and I ski probably for my age a little too fast. And sometimes I get ahead of myself. I hardly ever fall into the hill. I fall down the hill because I'm attacking the hill, and the ski gets hung up or something, and there I go down the hill. And on occasion, I've been going way too fast when that's happened. And one day there was a knoll that I went over that I didn't see due to the flat lighting and I really got airborne. 
And apparently, I kind of laid out like Superman as I went into a crash. And so my friend, when he caught up to me, and I'm sitting there, you know, kind of climbing out of the snow, he's going, like, what are you, Superman? Because he refers to my falls because I dive down the hill. You know, I need my cape on or something. Well, this last winter, I didn't get up skiing very often with our meetings and everything, but I did get up. And I was up at Crystal Mountain, and it was late enough in the year that the snow had gotten really soft and mushy if you went what they call off-piste, in other words, off the groom trails. And I came down a groom trail, and I wanted to see what the snow was really like over, you know, kind of off-piste, as they call it. And so I skied over there, and it was so mushy, and it was so sticky, it was just impossible to ski. So I just made one big turn, and I'm coming back, and there's this place probably only about from here to the floor. And it didn't even drop straight off. It just did a little dip. No problem. I mean, I've been skiing since I'm four years old. Who's going to, you know, I'm not going to have a problem with that. And so as I start to go over this little ridge, all I remember is going ow, ow, ow. And then nothing. As I went over this little ridge back onto the pack surface, my skis stuck. Just stuck. And I'm only going about 10 miles an hour. I wasn't doing like I often ski. And I came out of both my skis. I didn't even get my hands out. Now, if you think of a porpoise, that's what I did, and I landed on the top of my helmet. Didn't get my arms out or anything. Just did, you know, more than Superman, because I streamlined it. <laughs> and I porpoised, and I landed right on my head. And all I remember is going, ow, ow, ow. And the next thing I know, I'm opening my eyes, first time in my life I've truly seen stars truly seen stars and two skiers were there saying are you okay I don't maybe I was passed out maybe they saw me from up above and just saw me laying there and of course you know in that moment you got to be Joe cool you know and they said you okay yeah I'm just resting <laughs> you know because that's the first thing that came you know <laughs> So they took off, and then I'm laying there. Oh, they said, do you want us to go get your skis? And I said, no, that's okay. And I've discovered, I found myself crawling to where my skis were, rather than getting up and walking. And my ski poles were back over here. And I go, wasn't that weird? Wasn't that weird? Now, there's a little interesting piece of this story. Neurosurgeons tell me they hope I'm never in a bad whiplash car wreck because my neck is in tough shape. They even say that at some point in the past, I fractured a vertebra in my neck. And fortunately, it healed without being displaced and me never knowing it. But I do have a pinched nerve that I'm always hurting down this side. Not bad, but a little bit. This arm's always just a touch numb or number than this arm. 
And so I go, wow. If I, in fact, did that, because I went back where I picked up my skis and there's a spot in the snow where you could see my helmet hit. I thought that was really, I mean, it was a ridiculous fall because I didn't fall very hard and I wasn't skiing very fast. But imagine if I jumped up in the air here and did a dive and landed here on the carpet right on my head. That's going to really compress things. And like I say, I don't even remember falling. I just remember going, ow, ow, ow. I'm glad I didn't say any bad words, at least to my knowledge. And when I got up, hey, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm a little groggy, seeing a few stars yet, but I went and put my skis back on and skied down the rest of the way to the lodge. The interesting thing about it is, for several days afterwards, and shame on me, my wife kept getting on my case, but we're you know, into the meetings by then. In my left eye, I continued to see donuts. Not donuts like you want to eat, but little circles with holes in the middle, just floating around all over the place. And if I still go out in the really bright sunshine, I might see a few. But it is so much better. And I'm so thankful for the day that God preserved Superman when Satan tried to kill him. Now understand, I'm not trying to say I'm Superman, but that's what my friend used to call me on skis. So I praise the Lord, I'm okay, and everything's good. Story number two. Do you want the second story quickly? You want the story? Okay. <laughs> a barbecue, 11 cop cars, a police patrol boat, and yours truly falling out of his kayak. Now, what kind of story would you come up with? <laughs> well, instead of going to the gym... I like to run out the Lake Taps and have a flat water kayak and jump in the lake or jump in the boat and go for a while. Had it over in Paul's bow with me and was out on the sound. Been out in Gig Harbor, been in a variety of places, lots of big lakes all over the western Washington. I usually have my GPS in the boat and it keeps track and so I've logged since 2006 when I got my first boat, I've logged about 4,000 miles. I've never gone over. Now, in a couple other kayaks I have, but I've never gone over in that one. So I show up at Allen York Park. There's a big sign out that says, Police Training Today. Well, it was about lunchtime, and all I saw was the canopy up with the big barbecue going on and all the cops sitting around eating. <laughs> but I discovered later on that they were training in the police boat and only so many could go out at a time. And so I unloaded my kayak and I put it on the dock. In fact, this is, if you could go back to this other screen, um, or, or, or to my computer. Now, my boat's actually an olive green color, but this gives you an idea. Hopefully. Oh, yeah, it's up there. Uh, that's 16 feet long. And you can paddle it as well as use like dolphin fins or penguin fins underneath the boat. So you can use your legs or paddle. And you see behind the seat where that bungee cord crisscrosses and there's kind of a indentation there, a storage area, right behind the seat, but before that aft hatch. You see that area? All right, 
That becomes very key in this story. Because here the cops are having their barbecue. The police boat is out here running around practicing. And I go to step into my boat off the dock. And I sit down a little too far. And I capsize the boat right by the dock. <laughs> Boy, was I embarrassed. <laughs> and the cops are going, you okay, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Because it is a sit on top versus a sit down inside with a canopy around you. You can climb in the boat when you're in the water. But in order to do so, you basically swim up over the boat and then tip the boat up on edge until more of your weight is on the boat than not, and then it goes back flat, and then you turn around and sit up, and you're back in the boat. And the boat's all self-bailing, and so it will drain itself of water. So here I am, I, I, you know, the docks may be again about this high. I step in the boat, I go to sit down, and somehow I sit on the edge of the boat, and over I go. So they're all asking if I'm okay, and I says, yeah, I'm okay. But I discover that the way I went in I, when I went in the water, I knocked my glasses off and my hat. Glasses are gone. Well, my con I, I also wear a contact, and my contact was okay. So I figured, well, it's such a sunny day, and there's enough action around the docks right now, I'm not going to be able to see my glasses down in the water anyway. Plus, without my glasses, I probably couldn't see them anyhow. And I am due for another doctor's appointment, especially after what I did with my eye getting all funny after that ski fall. And so I'm going to go ahead and go for my ride anyway. You know, with one contact, I can still see pretty good. So I took off and I went on down the lake a ways and see the police boat out there training and stuff. And this back area is now somewhat full of water from when I had to tip it up to get back in, you know, to climb up on it and then have it go flat, plus when I went over. So I'm reaching behind the seat with my hands and I'm splashing like crazy back there trying to get some of the water to splash out of the boat. I'm swishing it back and forth with my hands. I'm doing everything I can possibly think of. And in my mind, I'm telling myself, you are due to go see the doctor anyway. You're probably due for a new pair of glasses. I know you have a spare pair, but, you know, it's really no big deal because, and maybe if you come back in the morning when the lake's smooth and there's not any boats around, maybe then I can see my glasses down in the bottom. Now, I usually wear what they call a croaky, which holds my glasses on, but it was too loose. So whatever action I did when I went in and my hat, my glasses and everything came off, my hat kind of started floating away, and once I got back in the boat, I was able to reach out with my paddle and, and pull my hat back to me and put on my wet hat. And I go out, so I've completely convinced myself it's okay. I can see good enough to drive home, I think, and then I'll get my spare pair and go see the eye doctor and everything will be fine, except for the deductible, you know, that part of the insurance. So I get back to the dock after being out on the water for about an hour. That's a good workout. I get back to the dock. I get out of my boat. I am now on the dock. I lean over to get the handle on the boat in midship to pull it up on the dock. And my glasses are in that back compartment. 
how did they get there? And even if when they flipped off, they landed back there, the fact that you tip your boat clear up on its side and that back basket area is full of water, why didn't they fall out then? And how come when I'm splishing and splashing all that water, you could certainly get them to wash right out overboard and never know it? Because it's behind the seat. You can't really see what you're doing. I think a miracle happened. These are the very glasses. When I shared that with a couple of people, they've said, you've got to tell that story at church because it's truly a miracle that you ended up with your glasses. God teaches and speaks to us through a variety of ways. Now, I could understand somebody blaming me for landing on my head skiing if I was going 50 miles an hour. I was only going about 10. God preserves us, and he cares about us. He not only protected me, but I'll bet you he gave those good cops a good story to tell. And uh, I'm just thankful that uh, I can share that with you, because when you have doubts and when you have questions, remember that Christ is Lord. And he does supernatural things for us once in a while. And there's absolutely no good reason. And by the way, these are trifocals, and so they're not cheap glasses. Why were my glasses in the back? How did they get there? How did they stay there? Unfortunately, I saw them before I picked the boat up because when you pick the boat up, it, it tips up on its side as you pull it up on the dock and I could have dumped them out right there. So the fact that I even noticed that they were there. So praise God for all that he does and to God be the glory, great things he has done. Dear Lord, so often you send your angels to surround us to protect us, to be there for us, and we don't even realize it. But sometimes we realize that the miraculous happens. And we're thankful for revealing your love for us through some of those events. Lord, sometimes bad things happen to good people, and we know that's because the devil is alive and well, and he insists on having his way at times. Sometimes it's our own fault and sometimes it's not. But as we read in 1 Peter, where he kind of sums things up and say, be loving to one another. Be loving. For Jesus is the Christ and the Christ is Lord. May we always recognize that you are the one through your angels and Holy Spirit that's working on our behalf. And we thank you for never giving up on us. And I pray that there's not a single person in this room that one day you will have to turn your back on them because of the choices that they have continually chosen to make which are in rebellion against you.
but we realize that when we choose you, we're not earning points. We're not earning salvation, but rather we are accepting your grace by faith that you provide for us what we need. And I thank you for these two stories that again illustrate to me your love for me. As I share it, may people realize that he loves them too. In Jesus' name, amen.